So, I recently was witness to a great debate on Facebook. It was the debate of whether or not the preacher must stay in the pulpit. And there was all sorts of good points and whatever about how important it was that if the pulpit's, he's in the pulpit, he matches the furniture and he doesn't get in the way of the cross and Jesus and all that stuff. All good points. But with where communication has moved, there are things that are better about not hiding behind a giant piece of furniture when you're talking to people. And because 8 o'clock kind of likes that kind of thing, I decided to stay up here. But since you people don't care, <laughs> I think I'll come down here. So long as I don't go down there. So just here. I'm good. All right? We good? All right. So one of the crazy things that I believe is that the best thing, uh, the best thing that can happen to a person, the best thing that can happen to a couple is that they have Jesus. That they have Jesus as they begin their life together. Because one of the things that I get to do here quite frequently at St. John's, particularly for those that are not connected with St. John's, is marry them. And so I get to do a, a lot of weddings. And some people enthusiastically begin their life in Jesus. And when I have that opportunity to, to proclaim Jesus as the beginning of someone's life together and, and help them build that foundation that they can build a life on, that is, that is a true joy. Some people are kind of fake. They, they say they're all about this Jesus thing, but really, St. John's is a beautiful place to get married. And that's what they want. And then there's other people that are honest. People will say, well, I grew up in the church, and I'm not sure where I'm at with this whole Jesus thing, and my parents kind of said that we need to get married in a church, and so we're getting married in a church. And so I give them Jesus regardless, because I'm a preacher. That's what I do. So if you come here to get married, whether you want it or not, you're going to get Jesus. But in the conversation that takes place, one of the things that, that sometimes still comes out is, you know, I like Jesus, but the church, the church is full of hypocrites. And then we quickly want to explain that away. I want to explain it away. Well, we're sinners, saints, you know. We, we know that there's stuff wrong with us. But, but there's a part of me that wonders. Is there some truth? Is there some piece of what they're stay, saying that, that resonates as true? So I went to the ever almighty Google to find out exactly the good definition for hypocrisy or hypocrite. And so I looked it up and it said, a person who indulges in hypocrisy. That's a hypocrite. Thank you, Google. Very clear. But essentially, when it comes from the ancient language, from Greek, it means somebody that acts like someone that they're not. I like the word, a cinnamon that they tossed up there on Google, which is plaster saint. Somebody that puts a different face over who they really are. And so as I'm mulling over this text and thinking about what in the world I'm going to do with that gospel full of gospel... I ran into some of the guys leaving Tim's Bible study on Tuesday morning, and they said, well, pastor, you got to give it to us with both barrels. I thought, I don't know about that, because that means I need to give it to me too. 
And so as I'm wrestling with this and thinking about this text and what it means, I, I hop in the car and I hear the song, My Own Worst Enemy, followed shortly thereafter because I changed the station by a song uh, by Casting Crowns, Somewhere in Between. And the lyrics go something like, I'm somewhere in between who I am and who I want to be. I'm somewhere in between who I am and who you're making me to be. And I think there's some truth, some truth in what the accusation might be. And, and so I think that that's something for us, us to wrestle with. And so this morning we're going to, to look at what's happening in the text and try and figure out what's going there and exactly what Jesus is confronting. We're going to see where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law got it wrong and where we can too. And, and why it's such a hard trap for us as people and how we, by God's grace, can overcome and the first thing to notice when Jesus gets started with them is that he says, these are the traditions of the elders. He doesn't say that these are the traditions of the fathers. They're the traditions of the elders. In other words, these aren't the things of the patriarchs. These aren't the things that were passed down by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is oral tradition. You see, the thing that, that happens throughout the Old Testament, and we hear a little bit of that there in Isaiah, all throughout the Old Testament, God's people are not really good at keeping the law. Like, they're really bad at it. And so what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law do is they start building more and more fences around God's law, and the fence just keeps getting bigger and bigger and wider and wider in order to protect God's law so that no one can violate God's law so that they don't get sent into bondage, into slavery again. And so they take what we as Christians would look back at the Old Testament and say, the Old Testament has ten, ten basic rules. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law turn those into, I know there's some preachers out here that know the answer to this one. How many? 613 rules. 613 rules. And so what Jesus says here is that you have taken all these traditions of people and they are not equal to God's word. They are not God's word. They are traditions. And, and so one of the things to, to notice here about this is there's two words in the New Testament that talk about um, defiled, which translate as defiled. There's two words that can be translated as that. One meaning really gross, like I just touched something dead and I need to wash immediately. And then the other word is for common, for just simply dirty. Sort of like what happened to me when I was growing up in the Midwest. You'd be walking through the field and you're hungry and you're picking rock or you're pulling the beans out of, or the corn out of the beans, not the other way around. They get mad at you when you do that. And, and you get hungry and so you suck on some grain, you chew on some grain, whatever, because you need something and it's hot and then you're tired and so your hands are a little bit dirty, whatever. This is the quintessential, I'm drinking some water out of the garden hose. Probably not the best idea, but it'll give you some water and you'll be all right. And so here what, what the Pharisees are getting at, it's kind of like this minor thing, like, okay, yeah, maybe this isn't the best thing to do, but it's really not going to kill anybody. So first thing that, that Jesus says to him is that, that, that man's rules are not equal to God's law. And then the second thing he does in verses 10 through 13 is he says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. 
For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or their mother. And so he's taking it to the next step. He's saying, some of these rules you guys have actually created undermine the very thing that you're trying to protect with all the rules. They actually go against the very word of God, which you're trying to protect with all of these fences. And so what's going on there is somebody would say, well, when I die, I'm going to give all that I own to the church. And my parents come upon a hard time. They, they don't have money to pay for some stuff. And so they come to me and they say, hey, Nathan, could you help us out with this? And I say, sorry, all my stuff's devoted to the church. That would be horrible, right? And so that's what's going on here. They, they've created a huge mess for themselves by, with all these fences, so much of a mess that, that Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. And I, I kind of wonder if at first when Jesus starts to speak, they say, oh, this is going to be good. He's talking about the prophet Isaiah and us. This is going to go somewhere great. And then he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And all their effort trying to protect the very word of God, they've entirely missed it. They've missed the very thing that God is trying to get at with them over and over again. You see, the thing about it is rules are easy. Rules are easy to follow. Rules are easy to make. Rules are easy to keep. Because you know when you're getting it right and you know when you're getting it wrong. People are messy. People are, are messy. It's easy to come so, to someone when things are not going in their life and you're, you'd say to them, you should do this and you need to do that and you're doing this wrong and that's why your life's a mess. It's harder to sit down beside them and say, I understand that you're struggling here. Help me understand what's going on in your life. How many of our hearts have ached because someone we love, someone we care about has chosen a path that's hard and destructive? See, if you boil down all that God says to his people over and over again, it's all really about two things. It's about loving God and loving people. And we as people sometimes get the rules confused with a thing. I think just like back then, people get the rules confused with Christianity, and when the rules are emphasized over relationship, it's easy to get in trouble. See, the thing that Pastor Mike, Dr. Mike, discovered as we were going through this text, I read right past it, is that here where it's translated plural, it's actually singular. Jesus actually says you have a fine way of setting aside the command of God in order to observe your own tradition. So the question is, is what is the command of God? Later on in the Gospel of Mark, someone else tries to come and challenge Jesus. And Jesus says the command of God is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Sometimes we make rules that get in the way of that. Sometimes it's easier to stick to the rules than to actually love people. It's easy to slap the St. John sticker on the back of your car. It's hard to drive in a respectable way that doesn't get you in trouble with that sticker on the back of your car. It's easy to know that I should read God's word, that I should spend time in prayer daily. It's hard to actually do it. It's easy to give things away. It's hard to enter into the life of someone who's broken, someone who's struggling, and walk alongside them and discover what they really need. It's easy to follow the rules. It's hard to actually love your neighbors. Which brings me to my neighbors. So some Chapman students moved in next door and talked with their parents last year, and they promised us they were going to be great. And last year, they were fantastic. This year, they kicked off the year with a bang. Thursday night, they threw a giant party. I think there must have been 50 people in their backyard. It was fantastic. And then last night, they uh, wanted to welcome up the sun. It didn't come up for them, so, but whatever. And um, so, you know, I, I went out there once, stuck my head over the fence, and was like, guys, you woke me up. You've got to keep it down, because if you wake up the kids, I'm really going to be mad. So they listened. And then about 30 minutes, they woke me up again. So I go out there, and I talk to them again. And this time, my dark side started to come out. And I hooked up the hose. <laughs> and I hooked up the spigot. I said, guys, you got to keep it quiet, and I hooked it on the fence. And then they woke me up again. And it kind of scared me the joy that I felt in my heart about the thought of turning that hose on. But then I thought, if I get up out of bed and walk out there again and turn on the hose, and they all go screaming, then I'm really going to be awake. So I better just to close my eyes and try and sleep. And then I kind of remembered that I used to be one of those people. <laughs> and I thought, how can I actually be a good neighbor to them? And the hose is probably not the best idea. <laughs> because I really need to do something that builds a relationship rather than blows it up like a nuclear blast. And so what do I need to do to actually love and care for my neighbors? And that's a little bit more tricky than the rules. A little bit harder than the rules. So I started thinking about, well, what would help me as a college student to see where my neighbor with two kids under six is coming from? So I, I thought about this. And, and so I think the thing is, and one of the reasons that it's hard for us and where we get stuck with this hypocrisy thing is that we are not... Um, we realize things. And so when something comes to our minds, when we realize that something in us needs to change, the first thing that happens is we become aware. Uh, like I've been going through this thing called PLI with my wife, and they're having us read all kinds of books. And we're reading right now a book called Marriage on Mission. And as I'm reading this book, I'm starting to go, oh, maybe there's some things in my life that need to be a little bit different. 
And the next thing is, is you start to ponder it. You start pulling in the information. You start gathering together, okay, what would I do? What would I need to change? How would my life look different if I started to do this instead of what I'm doing now? And then the next thing is you start to value it. You start to say, this is important, and you start to put it into practice a little bit in your life. And then the next step is that you prioritize it. You prioritize it and say, all right, I've got to change my life. I've got to set a new course. And as I set a new course, I change my schedule. I change where I invest my time and my energy. And I make it a significant part of my life. And finally, I own it. I own it and, and this thing becomes who I am. I put it into practice so that this thing becomes inseparable from who I am. It, it's just what I do because of who I am. And I think the problem is, is that in between that value step and the prioritize and own is this huge gap called the action behavior gap. And I think that's where hypocrisy lives. Because there's things that we've become aware of as followers of Jesus, things that we've, we've pondered, things that we've started to value, and we aren't putting them into practice in our lives. This is one of the places that I think hypocrisy lives. Is there's things that we as followers of Jesus know that we should be doing, and yet we aren't. We haven't started to prioritize it. We haven't started to change our schedules. We haven't started to change the rhythms of our lives so that it becomes who we are. And then I think the other place that hypocrisy lives, especially when it comes to us as followers of Jesus, is when we get rules mixed up with relationships. And we get the rules over the top of relationships and we don't see them as serving the relationships. And so the question is, is how do we do this? How do we start to put this into practice in our lives? How do we become the people that God has designed us to be? How do we overcome hypocrisy and become who God has actually designed us to be? And so the first thing that I would challenge you today is, what has God put on your heart? What has God put on your mind that, that you've started to become aware of or started to ponder or started to value that you maybe need to take the next step with? What is God saying? Maybe you need to be doing this differently. Maybe you need to be treating your wife or your husband differently or your kids or your grandkids or the Chapman students I'm not comparing you guys to Chapman students. Sorry about that. What's that thing? And then these three things that a, a guy gave us this past week at our staff retreat. And that is, first and foremost, live with integrity. Start to, to think about those things that you value and how you can transition them into something that you prioritize and own. The second is live with margin. It's very hard to have that conversation with the Chapman students when you're always running to the next appointment. And that's the thing that, that I know that I need to do, but I make it hard when I don't give myself the margin to do it. And finally, live with eternal purpose. Live with eternal purpose. Remember that the things that you can do today can make an eternal difference in someone's life.
Remember that the, the things that we do, that, that God has invited us to be part of his very mission, to be part of what he is doing in this world. What an incredible gift Jesus gives us when he says to the disciples, do not rejoice that you have power over the evil spirits, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. How amazing, how incredible will it be when we gather together at the marriage feast of the Lamb and someone leans over and elbows us and says, I'm here. I'm here because you prayed. I'm here because you gave. I'm here because you said something. Sometimes we get caught in the rules. We get caught in the rules and thinking about what's going on here and now, and we forget that what we do can have eternal significance. I'm not trying to pick on this one on purpose, but it's just an experience from my own life, and so I thought I'd share it with you. When I was in the, the military, I had a, a buddy that was a, a Baptist, and he was studying to be a chaplain with me, and um, we sat together, and he says, I'm having this real problem. You see, I trying to figure out what I was supposed to do in this situation. I don't know if what I did was right. He says, my coworkers every Friday night would go out for beers and I've been trying to reach them and share the gospel with them and connect with them and they won't let me in. And so finally last week, I decided I was going to go out with them for happy hour. And I got there and I thought, well, I'm going to look really dumb if I just sit here and drink water. And so it's like, I had a beer with them. I'm not sure if that was the right thing to do. Because for some people in that tradition of faith, that's one of those unbreakable rules. You just don't do that. Especially this was 15 years ago. And so we talked. And that's a perfect example of the rules getting in the way of the relationship. Because what he said is the most amazing thing happened after I sat down with them and had a beer, I became part of their group. We started to talk, we started to have conversation, we started to relate, we started to talk about life, and they opened up to me, and I was able to share Jesus with them in a way that I couldn't have done had I not sat down with them. It's about the relationship first, and the rules second. See, the challenge for us as God's people is to take those things that we, we know we should value and that we should hold up in our lives as his followers and own them. Become who he's called us to be. Become who he's created us to be by grace in his son. But the truth is there's only one person. One person who has ever completely owned his identity. One person who lived with complete integrity, who lived out his full identity as who he was designed and supposed to be. And part of that identity was to own your identity. To own your identity, become what you are, so that you could be what he is. Are we ever going to get it perfect? Probably not. But by God's grace, today I'll be a little bit better than I was yesterday. And maybe tomorrow a little bit better than that. I'd like to leave you with these words from Isaiah 29 that we read earlier. 
Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll. Out of the gloom and the darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. May Jesus open our eyes and stop our ears that we can hear his voice and little by little become who he's called us to be. Amen.